grieve and we long for things to change. And Lord, also this weekend, I remember that there are many who have given their lives, Lord, because there is brokenness in our world. There is war and conflict. And I'm thankful that even in the midst of conflict, Lord, your grace comes through that you provide people who are willing to sacrifice, and we give you thanks for that. And Lord, we look to you, the ultimate one who has given your life for us. And God, I pray today that as we look at your word and remember what you have accomplished, Lord, I pray that you would lift our sights off of the things we see around us right now. God, lift our sights to you who has accomplished uh, the greatest act ever in your death, resurrection, and ascension. So God, please help us to put our hope and our trust in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, three questions we are tackling this morning. And the first one is, what is the meaning of Jesus' ascension? What's it all about? What happened in his ascension? Uh, we are tempted to think that what primarily took place was that he left. Uh, almost like you know, a, a Superman kind of uh, picture of Jesus blasting off, you know, taking off into outer space. And the disciples are left standing there looking up with mouths uh, wide open. And we think that this was primarily about him leaving. But that's not the case. This is primarily not about him leaving. And so I want us to consider how the other um, New Testament writers interpret Jesus' ascension. So I want to list a few different passages here and listen to the picture these New Testament authors paint about Jesus' ascension. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul writes, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So you see there the picture that Christ was not only risen, but seated in the place of highest honor. That's the picture of a ruler, of a king being seated on a throne. Or consider Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Again, this picture of Jesus being, uh, his descent, being a humble descent to this earth, but then he was elevated, raised to the place of highest honor, and it says here that everyone would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at the time of this writing, Roman citizens declared that Caesar was Lord, that the Roman emperor was in the place of highest honor and authority. And the Christians said, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ is Lord in the place of highest honor and authority. So again, picture of a king ruling in the place of honor and authority. One more verse. Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact 
representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, this picture of Jesus sitting down in the place of highest honor and authority. It's the picture of the throne room, that Jesus has taken his rightful place on the throne of the universe. So all these passages are pointing us to this this, uh, image of Jesus ruling. Now we're going to put on the Matthew 28 lens that I told you about earlier. And in this passage, there are four um, phrase, four times the word all is used. Uh, the first three are obvious. The, se- the fourth one is a little bit obscure, all right? But four times the word all is used. And we're going to use these four alls to unpack the meaning and then the purpose and then the implications of the ascension. First all in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority. I mean, think about the magnitude of that statement. I mean, what other human ruler would dare say this? You know, all authority, every, uh, the right to rule, all things has been given to me. That's what Jesus is claiming. All authority in heaven and on earth is now Christ's. So he's explaining to his disciples what's going to happen in his ascension. He is ascending to the throne over all. So the ascension means that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's almost uh, the picture of, uh, maybe in our terms, a political candidate who had previously local influence, maybe as a governor uh, or a, a, a senator. There was some local influence, but now... Uh, They have been elected to the highest office in the land. So their policies that previously had value at a more local level can now be enacted on the highest level. And so Jesus' policies can be enacted over everything because he has ascended to the place of highest honor and authority. So in our terms, maybe understanding that picture of uh, election to the highest office is helpful. But it's not a full picture. I mean, our democratic society knows nothing of the grandeur of a coronation, of a king that is being put on the throne, and in particular, a king who has accomplished an amazing victory, a king who has defeated all the enemies uh, of the land and then comes to the place of great power and authority. I'm a, I'm a, a, a sucker for uh, good fantasy stories. I really like the Lord of the Rings Uh, series. In particular, I like the books. And one of my great disappointments in watching the movies was the last movie, uh, The Return of the King, I felt did not capture what my mind had pictured when I read through the series. And that is in the last book, when the promised king, Aragorn, defeats enemies, all the enemies, and then the land is at peace and he ascends to the throne, there was this massive celebration in the land. And it was such a powerful picture of this, the rightful king taking over all, and therefore there being peace in the land. And there was just celebration upon celebration, and it, the movie just could not capture what, what my mind had pictured. And this is a whisper of what the scriptures are telling us, that there is a rightful king over all. And when he is on the throne, one day all will be put right. And Jesus 
has died, he has risen, and he has ascended to the throne, and the celebration is beginning. That's what the scriptures tell us. So what is the meaning of Jesus' ascension? It's that all authority in heaven and on earth is his right now, even though we struggle to see it. Second question, what is the purpose of Jesus' ascension? I mean, in some ways, we might wonder, like the disciples did, why did he have to leave? Why not stay? Uh, why not continue his work? Why not more miracles, more teaching? Um, the disciples were very sad to see him go. Why did he ascend? What was the purpose? Well, we're going to get to the next two alls in Matthew 28 in a minute. But first, let's look at another passage, uh, Ephesians 4.10. And this passage is very, very direct in explaining the purpose of Jesus' ascension. It says, and the same one who descended, that is in his birth, is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Jesus was born as a humble baby. He lived this amazing life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again and then ascended so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. See, it's always been God's plan to fill what he has made with his life. When you go to the beginning of the scriptures, you see this was God's original plan. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 shows us this. In verses 1 to 2, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Mark those words, formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. And then God begins to take what he had first made and bring order and fill it with life. Into the land, he puts animals and people and plants. Into the sea, he puts fish. Into the sky, he puts birds. He fills that which he has made with life. And when he made people, God said this about people. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. See, God wanted people to partner with him in the filling of the world with his goodness, his love, his life. That's God's original plan to fill all that he has made with all that he is. But we know that's not the way things are. And the scriptures tell us what has gone wrong in this story. That instead of filling the earth with life and goodness and love and order, we fill the earth with death and disorder. Uh, we see great hardship and brokenness in our world, and that is why Jesus came to restore what has gone wrong. And so what Jesus does in Matthew 28 is to take the command of Genesis 1 and, and almost do a 2.0 on the original command. The original command being, fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth. Matthew 28 is telling us, fill the earth, but a little bit differently. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, let's read that again. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So two alls here, all nations, all commands. 
See, God's intention is not just for one nationality. It wasn't just for the Jewish people uh, to be raised up and filled with his life and goodness. All nations, all ethnicities, all peoples on earth, God is intending to bless. All nations. But how is he going to bless all nations? It's by making disciples of all nations. That in all nations, people would become disciples of Jesus. And all that means, it's a learner, an apprentice. Uh, if you're an electrician and you take on an apprentice, they're learning from you how to practice that trade. And Jesus' disciples learned from him how to think like him, how to act like him, how to love like him, how to serve like him. Disciples of Jesus are his apprentices. They're learning to obey all his commands. Think of that. The way that Christ himself is filling this earth is by his disciples learning to do everything Jesus said to do. It doesn't say obey some of my commands. It doesn't say just learn my commands. It says obey all my commands. And Jesus gave us some pretty clear commands, like loving our neighbor, like loving God with all that we are, like loving our enemies, like rejoicing when persecuted, like being able to give sacrificially, live faithfully. And none of those commands come natural to sinful people like us. And so we need to be taught how to live this way. And God is filling this earth right now with his people, his disciples of all nations who are learning to obey all his commands. Uh, in short, uh, the purpose for Jesus' ascension is that his plan is to fill the world with his life through the disciple-making advance of the church. That's his plan. It's to send his people, his church, into all the world to make disciples who obey all his commands. And we stop and scratch our head and say, really? That's his plan? To fill the earth with his goodness? I mean, if you we look at the church, at times, it seems quite feeble. Um, it seems like churches start, churches close, churches are full of brokenness like the world. And we say, really? The, the church is your plan? To fill the earth with your goodness? And that came as a surprise to the disciples, too. The, the disciples expected a different kind of ascension as they stood on the mountain with Jesus that day. As he rose, their mouths were wide open. They were like, we cannot believe this is happening. This was not as we expected. And before he rose, they, before he ascended, they'd even asked him a question that revealed their expectations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, they, this says they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I mean, just think of this. The disciples have seen Jesus die. They've seen, they know he's risen. He has appeared to them. And yet they're still asking him questions about politics. They're still expecting Jesus to ascend to the throne in Jerusalem. They still think that God's plan to bring goodness and life and order is through earthly political means. Can you imagine a crazy thing as people that would overemphasize the role of politics in God's plan? Shocking, isn't it? This is the human temptation. We tend to think that God's plan is to bring his goodness into the world 
through things like earthly politics and, and, and uh, military might. And age after age of Christians has gotten that wrong. That God's plan is not to fill this earth with His life and His goodness in this top-down, earthly manner. It is to fill His people with His life and seed His people into the kingdoms of this world, into the schools, into the neighborhoods, into the businesses, into the governments. And as His people begin to bless others, God's kingdom is spreading. It is advancing. But time and time again, we think that what's needed is earthly policies and power to enforce what we think God values. And Jesus says, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. We need to have a greater expectation of the awesomeness of God's plan through His church. You probably don't think of yourselves as being key agents in God's plan for the transformation of the world. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're just that. God has sent you wherever you live, work, play for this purpose. Jesus is filling the earth by filling His people with His life and sending them. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead here. Third question. What are the implications of Jesus' ascension for us? What are the implications? So, so what? Uh, let's look at the last all in Matthew 28. The last all is where Jesus says to them, I will be with you always, or I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is strange. Jesus is saying this as he leaves them. I am with you always as he ascends. He ascended bodily, and so his physical body is no longer on earth. And there is a sadness and a separation there. But he did not abandon his disciples. He is with his disciples always till the end of the age. We have to understand how. How is Jesus with us today? And there are many ways we could go into this. I just want to highlight a few. First of all, Jesus, because he has ascended, is with us in that he is available to us at all times and all places. I mean, prior to Jesus' ascension, he was only with people locally. If he was in Nazareth, he was not in Jerusalem. You know, if he was in Judea, you know, he was not in Capernaum or, or, or vice versa. He, he was in one place at one time. Because he has ascended to the place of ultimate authority, it's also the place of ultimate availability, that anyone can talk with Jesus at any time. He is available to us in all times in all places. But it even goes deeper than that. It's not just that we could be in, you know, Alton or Portsmouth or Boston and all be with Jesus. It's that at all times of our life, we can be with Jesus. When you're having a good week and you are obeying the commands of Jesus fairly well, you can be with Jesus. When you're having a bad week and you don't want anyone to see what you've done during that week, you can be with Jesus. See, that's the always he's referring to here. That God is not welcoming us because we have been so good, because we have kept his commands so well. That's our human inclination to think that when I'm doing well, God's happy with me and I'm close to God. But when I'm not doing so well, 
God's kind of disappointed and pushing me away. And Jesus' ascension tells us something quite different. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, listen, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has ascended, and that what that means is there is now in heaven a human being who is for us. Jesus became human, and he did not stop being human. He is still human in heaven, perfectly God, perfectly human, and he represents us in heaven. If you are represented in a court of law, you want to make sure the person representing you is competent and is for you, and Jesus is both. He represents us perfectly in heaven. You say, well, what does that look like? Glad you asked. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 1 says exactly what it looks like. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. God doesn't want us to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, one who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. What does it mean that Jesus represents us in heaven? It means He is currently, right now, with us in that He is for us and pleading for us even in our sin. Even when we are faithless, even when we are disobedient, Jesus is for us. What that means is we can have such confidence that we can go to God in prayer, not just when we've had a good week, but when we've had a bad week. We can say, I'm not coming to you because I'm such a great person, because I know Jesus stands for me in heaven. Jesus pleads my cause in heaven. And man, does that change our level of confidence in life. We're no longer trying to present ourselves as being better than we are, because we're already accepted before the highest throne in the universe. No need to prove ourselves to others. Jesus has already loved us and accepted us fully. Jesus has ascended. All authority on heaven and earth is His. Jesus has ascended to fill all things with His life and love through the disciple-making advance of the church. And Jesus has ascended and right now sits in heaven as our advocate. He is with us till the end of the age. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for what you have accomplished. 